Scripture this morning is uh, from the books of Isaiah and Matthew, uh, first Isaiah 58, verses 6 through 10. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. And now Matthew five thirteen through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. May the Lord bless the reading and hearing of his word. One of my favorite New Testament scriptures is found in John 13, verse 1. Jesus' public ministry is over, and so Jesus models for his disciples the kind of ministry that they are to embody as he leaves them, at least leaves them physically. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, got up from the table, took off his outer robe, and tied a towel around himself. And then if you know the rest of that, Jesus proceeds to wash the feet of his disciples Jesus was freed for this self-giving ministry. He was able to live up to his calling precisely because he knew who he was and where he was going. So in the text for today, Jesus reminds us, his, his disciples, who we are. Knowing who we are is a precious commodity in a confused and disoriented world. You know, if we don't know who we are, we're in prison. We're in prison to others' expectations. We're in prison to our own self-doubt. We're imprisoned in so many ways if we don't know who we are. When we know who we are, then we are freed to be who God has called us to be. For you see, first in the text, Jesus tells us who we are. And Andrea did a good job of that in the children's moment. Jesus doesn't urge us to be salt and light. He describes us 
as salt and light. You are salt, you are light. According to Psalm 8, we were created a little lower than the angels. And then in Jesus Christ, we were recreated. We are salt and light. Oh, no, not me, Lord. Yes, you. You are salt. You are light. That's who you are. That's who I created you to be. The reason that, I, that we have inferiority complexes at, at, at this point is that we understand original sin too well. I remember my original sin. Do you remember yours? I was in kindergarten in front of 303 North College, and in in, I was sitting on the driver's side. My cousin was sitting on the right, the passenger side, and we were talking. And I did something to hurt her, or she claimed, I'm sure I didn't, but she claims that I did something to hurt her. And she was going to tell my grandmother, well, earlier in the day in kindergarten, somebody had brought little things that you put crayons in to keep them from breaking, you know, little, little plastic things. I thought they were so wonderful that I took one and brought it home with me. And I thought, here's a way to cleanse my life. I said, if you won't tell Grandma, I'll give this to you. We remember our original sin far too well. It's not that most of us have an inflated sense of self-worth. No, the truth is that we fail to love and value ourselves in appropriate ways, in adequate ways. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves, not instead of ourselves. And what often masquerades as self-love really isn't love, it's self-hate. It takes rather than gives. It's selfishness. Carlisle Marnie used to suggest that we, alongside an awareness of original sin, we need awareness of original love. For when God created us, God said it is good. God loved and God continues to love. At the moment of our birth when we were naked and messy and all red and wrinkled, by the way, gentlemen, I've got some wisdom for you. When our firstborn was born, I saw her before Diane did. And when I saw Diane, she said, what does she look like? Well, I was kind of nonplussed by that question. I said, a baby. <laughs> wrong answer, gentlemen, wrong answer. <laughs> when Diane saw her, she told me she was the most beautiful child in the world. You see, when we were naked and messy, red and wrinkled, parents, grandparents, uncles, and aunts thought we were beautiful. Truth is, we weren't very beautiful, but we were very helpless. And in an act of grace, someone picked us up, washed us off, cared for us, wrapped us up, and loved us. This act of goodness and mercy and love that we continue to receive to this day from our God and from our loved ones. But why this love? Why this grace? What are we to do with it? Not only does Jesus describe who we are, we are salt and light. He tells us what we are to do with it. And that is to boldly enter the world and to own up to, by God's grace, who we are. And that's a challenge. 
I believe that God is saying to the people of God at McLean Baptist Church, I want to make of you an even greater people, not so that people will drive by and say, my, what a great church. No, so that you, so that you can touch the lives of people in this community and world, so that you can bless the people of McLean and the world. I give thanks for the saints of McLean Baptist Church, and we'll be doing a lot this year to give thanks to God and celebrate the 100th anniversary of this church, who have gone before us and given of their time, their talent, their energy, their money. A great rabbi once said, the work is not ours or not yours to finish, but neither are you free to take no part in it. The work is not yours to finish, but neither are you free to take no part in it. What is your part? What is your part in helping McLean Baptist dream and realize God's dreams? Why does McLean Baptist exist? What is God's call, unique call and claim on this church? You see, our calling is to dream God's dream, dreams that will outlast and outlive us because if all of our dreams end with us, whatever they are, they're not God's dreams. It's our job to prepare and provide for those who will come after us, to realize God's dream, to know who we are, and to live that out. McLean Baptist Church faces challenges as you seek to dream God's dream as you seek to be co-workers with God in realizing those dreams. You know what the mission statement is. It's right there on the front of your worship folder. Seeking to be a loving and inclusive community that celebrates Christ, not celebrates each other, not celebrates our Sunday school class, not celebrates even what we do here, but celebrates Christ through worship that we do here and service to the world. What does that look like in your life? Because you know you are the church, right? Whether you're, you're sitting in these seats or whether you're out there in your daily life, in your vocation, in your work, in your social interactions, you are the church. When you leave here, you are missionaries. And what salt and what light happens from this church this week will have a direct relationship to what you do when you leave this place. You are the missionaries of this church. You are the church. So what does the mission statement look like in your world? How are you attempting to live it out in your world? How are you? What does it look like? When we can own up to who we are by God's grace, then we can respond freely with no strings attached. Because the creator and redeemer of all has affirmed our existence by loving us, by providing for us. We don't have to give in order to get. We are free to give because we already have received. C.S. Lewis used to make the distinction between gift love and need love. Need love is born out of emptiness Need love does for others and loves others because of an emptiness within the one doing the loving. And that that lover, so to speak, is trying to fill that emptiness with whatever he or she can acquire, can can manipulately gather from others. On the other hand, gift love 
is born of fullness rather than emptiness. It's a desire to give rather than to acquire, to take. While need love seeks to acquire and exploit, rather than giving life, it takes it. Gift love is generous and life-giving. So Jesus not only tells us who we are and what we're to do, he also tells us how to do it. And that's a part of the mission statement of this church. We are to do what we do in such a way it draws attention to you and me, no, to the glory and goodness of God. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Why is that so hard for many of us? I, I believe, sincerely believe, too often we operate out of need love rather than gift love. We haven't heard of and accepted original love, to use Carlisle Marnie's terms. We've heard the gospel with our heads, but not our hearts. We've heard it with our ears, but it hasn't made the trip to our hearts. So we're still needy, seeking to acquire value by getting it from someone or something else. But like our moon, we are reflected light. Our light is reflected light, which finds its source in the one who said, I am the light of the world. We reflect light into the dark places to people living in darkness. I've served as associate pastor or pastor of congregations for almost 40 years. And in that time, I've received exactly one letter like this. And I think it speaks to what Jesus is saying here. Dear Dr. Smith, please find enclosed a gift of $500 in honor of Ken and Ellen Smith and Rod and Kathy Spence. Their company, Bannister Homes, just completed a nearly year-long renovation addition to our home here in Elizabeth. We've told them that though that many builders would have done an impeccable job, one thing sets this family apart, how they follow Christ in their professional lives. Under their Christian leadership, Bannister Homes always found a way to, quote, do the right thing, end quote, especially in resolving conflicts where the, this can be difficult. We were taken aback and impressed and influenced by their honor of the Sunday Sabbath when they would not schedule meetings and encourage their employees not to work despite looming deadlines. Ken, Ellen, Rod, and Kathy also spoke op openly spoke of St. John's Baptist and their obligations and duties to the church, treating these responsibilities with the same regard as their paid profession. Ken's deaconship, Ellen's women's retreat leadership, teaching Sunday school, house and grounds duties, etc. We are delighted with the outcome of our project, even more so impressed and pleased with their Christian leadership throughout. How well this reflects upon St. John's Baptist, warmly Beth and John Haney. How well does what you do during the week reflect who you are 
as a child of God, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a part of McLean Baptist Church. Could this letter be written about you? If not, why not? Oh yes, and just a couple of weeks ago I learned that Ken Smith is awaiting a kidney transplant. You might pray for him. You see, in the biblical text for this morning, Jesus calls us to bring these same qualities of salt into our home, our work, our schools, and our communities. May we be salt to a world desperate to realize the joy and hope of God's redemptive love. May your light shine for those who've lost their way in the darkness of violence, injustice, oppression. May it shine for the marginalized and the stranger. You know, don't you, that the Bible was written from that perspective? It's not written to nice middle-class America. If you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall, ri shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. You remember Jesus and his ministry, don't you? He shared his ministry by focusing on the Samaritan, the widow, the oppressed servant, the outcast with, with leprosy, the paralytic, all, all those whom the respectable, self-righteous, religious leadership pushed to the margins and excluded. That's where Jesus expects our light to shine. God, help us to live our lives so that people will see Jesus in who we are, what we do and say, and how we do it so that he will shine through our lives of worship, service, witness. In a hungry, saltless world full of darkness. Let it be, dear Lord. Let it be. Amen.